Again, we're in week four of our series, Christian Assumptions that Harm Rather Than Heal. I want to share a story. I was a youth pastor for many years before becoming a senior pastor, and I, I had a young man. Um, I will remember his name as I tell the story. I probably shouldn't say it, though. Uh, he called me about 1.30 in the morning, and he was, he was drunk. He'd been drinking. I, I knew that his girlfriend, who was a part of our youth ministry, I knew they had broken up, right? So I knew something was happening here. So he calls me, Pastor Jerry. It's like, do you know what time it is? Yeah, but Pastor Jerry, <laughs> this conversation is going to go nowhere really quick. You need to be able to respond back to me, oh, whatever your name was. I can't remember his name now. Well, he, he just launched in, Pastor Jerry, if I, if I accept Jesus, will my girlfriend come back to me? Will she love me again? <laughs> and I didn't want to laugh. I, I wanted to be serious. I mean, the guy was drunk. He was asking a silly question, and I... I, I, to the life of me, I don't remember how I responded, but I, I hope I responded with, with grace and um, <laughs> mercy um, because th this poor boy was way off track. That girl was not going to get anywhere near him. And I know <laughs> the after story that they did not get back together. He, he uh, had some wrong ideas. Um, but for our young friend, the false assumption that we're going to be working with this morning is if I'm spiritual enough, I'll get my girl back, right? It's kind of like country music. If you play the record backwards, you get your dog back, you get your girl back, you get your truck back. Um, not exactly, but, but, but kind of close to that idea. Um, but for others, it's a little bit more serious, right? Why do I still struggle with my anxiety and depression, I'm supposed to be a joyful, victorious Christian. Why am I still struggling with these kind of things? Why haven't I gotten a grip on my gambling or my sexual, inappropriate sexual life? Why haven't I gotten a leg up on my anger, my jealousy, my pride, or whatever it is? Remember last week from Paul's list, right? Pick your poison. Whatever it is that, that, that just, that, that, that's that thorn in your side that, that you just can't deal with, right? What, what is it? Why hasn't God healed my condition? Why am I still sick? See, under this assumption, if pain or sin enters a believer's life, they conclude that something is spiritually wrong with them. And you can only conclude at that point, you can, you can reach two conclusions if you've decided that there's something wrong with you. You either throw your hands up and just say, you know what, I quit. It's not working. This, this might work for other people, but it clearly doesn't work for me. So the idea that folks who have bought into this assumption that spirituality somehow eliminates pain and suffering, like somehow if you accept Christ, pain and suffering is other people's problem, right? You, you can just like now never have to deal with that again. And, and this is probably one of the most, the first rude awakening when people come to Christ, right? They, they've been given all these wonderful pictures and all these promises, and, and they're really standing on those promises. And this is the, the one that kind of hits them back in the face very, very quickly, um, Things aren't going to all smell like roses once you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You're still going to have to live your life in a broken world with a lot of broken people, and, and you have to just deal with this fact that you're probably still broken too. You're saved, but you're still broken. 
right? You're still going to do really, really mean, rotten things. Hopefully, they're going to get less and less, and they're going to become more and more loving, but let's just be honest with ourselves, right? This stuff just doesn't disappear, right? The, the habits that we form, the, the, the mechanisms, the, the walls, the, 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 the things that we do, they've been built over many, 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 many years, and there's chemical reactions going on that make this the go-to every single time, and that'll take a while to break those habits, and God's Spirit helps us. God's Spirit says, hey, no, no, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that this time. Try it this way this time. Remember, we, we talked about that. And it's just this constant, constant, quiet reassurance that, hey, I'm still with you. Hey, you, you failed this time. That, that's all right. Let, let's, let's give this another shot. So either we throw up our hands, it's not working. Maybe Christianity is for other people. Or we go the other route that people take. We double down on the spiritual disciplines. I'll work harder, right? It's either uh, it's not working and I quit or I'm going to work harder. I'm just going to white-knuckle it, right? I must have failed somehow. I must have sinned so great that Christianity doesn't or won't work for me like it works for other people because I started so low and the bar was so low for me and I have so far to go that maybe it's going to be different for me. Um, maybe I'll try some new spiritual disciplines, maybe a different spiritual discipline. Maybe I'll alter the ones I'm doing somehow to fix whatever's wrong with me or whatever is wrong with the system because it's not working. Doubling down, all in an effort to discover that whatever it is that that one sin is that just kind of keeps tripping you up, right? That somehow that God is still maybe, and I know I've talked to so many people, they, they've been forgiven, they've, they've sought forgiveness a thousand times, and they still think that every bad thing that happens in their life, God is still ex- getting his pound of flesh, right? He hasn't extracted it all yet, and he's, he just, he, he's still working you over the coals somehow. And it's... it's I know on the face of it, we'll all admit that sounds so ridiculous, but, but we do. We, we go to that place. We go to that place in our hearts, our soul. What a horrible place to be. Torn between throwing yourself off the cliff or gritting your teeth and, and one more time throwing yourself against the cliff. Right? Maybe this time it'll stick. Maybe this time it'll work. Maybe this time I'll, I'll finally defeat that sin habit that I've got or that attitude, or that illness, whatever it is. One more time, hoping and praying, this time it'll work. So I want to do this morning, I want to look briefly at one of the most famous biblical characters that dealt with this particular assumption. If I'm spiritual enough, then pain and sorrow, I can just wash my hands of them, and I'll be done with them finally. I won't have to deal with that anymore. Uh, so we're going to look at this guy. His name is Job. It's not Job. It's Job, in case any of you were wondering. And this poor guy, I mean, everything had been working at one point, and it was now not working, right? Everything had been, I mean, he had everything. He, he was the man. I mean, he, he had everything. And eventually, in the course of events here, all his possessions are either stolen or destroyed. This happens very, very quickly. It didn't happen over a lifetime. It's happened like in a couple of weeks. I, you get the impression, uh, maybe in a week or a couple of days Right? His servants are all murdered. His children are crushed to death under a collapsed house. Right? He's covered with sores from the, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Like he can't sit or lay down or recline in any kind of position that's comfortable. And it, and you, you, a lot of you have experienced pain, right? physical pain. And, and you know what it feels like. You can't get, and you're, you're just, your whole continence, your whole 
soul just takes a dive, right? When we're feeling what I can imagine what Job was feeling like. And being like so many of us sit in between, it's not working and I'll work harder. Job wondered why, right? Why could such a loving God, how could such a loving God allow or cause all this to happen to me, right? I'd done everything right and now unmitigated disaster, just disaster after disaster after disaster. Instead of grace upon grace upon grace, disaster upon disaster. And so friends of Job offer him some sound bites, right? Exactly. Maybe you've heard some of these sound bites, and I want you to listen very closely to these sound bites because they're nothing but sound bites. They're not the whole truth, right? We're going to start with, he's got these three friends. He's going to start with Eliphaz the Temanite. He says this in Job chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. 6 and 7. It says, should not your piety or your, your goodness, right? Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways, your hope? Yes. Consider now, who, being innocent, has ever perished? Well, these are rhetorical questions. You would answer, no, I don't think, right? Were the, ever, were the upright ever destroyed? In other words, holy people don't experience pain. Maybe you've heard this crazy half-truth. Holy people don't experience pain. If you're truly holy, you'll be protected from pain. Let me continue. This is uh, Bildad, the, the Shuite. He adds his two cents. In chapter 8, he says this, Does God pervert justice? Rhetorical question. Everybody answers, No. Does the Almighty pervert what is right? No. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Yes. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, if, if, even now he will arouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. In other words... You suffer because you sin, right? So the first buddy says, holy people don't experience pain. This guy says you suffer because you sin, right? Truly holy people are protected from pain. Didn't you know that, Job, right? And then the third friend, Zophar, the, the Naphonite, he says this in chapter 11. Yet if you devote your heart to him, stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand, and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. In other words, if you depend wholly on God and don't sin, pain will go away. So very quick recap. Holy people don't experience pain and suffering. That's not true. You suffer because you sin. Not always true. Sometimes, yes, but not always true. And then finally, if you depend wholly on God and you don't sin, then all your pain, all your suffering will simply go away. One last piece of the puzzle. Chapter 22 says this. Submit to God and be at peace with him. I'm going to come, I'm going to come back to that word peace. Submit to God and be at peace with him. And in this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. In other words, the remedy to all that ails you is just simply yield to God and study his word and all your problems will evaporate. 
Now, go ahead and raise your hand and, and, and explain to the people in the room that you're sitting with, with um, how that has happened with you. Um, my guess is your room is very, very silent now because that simply has not happened to people. Simply by studying God's Word and adhering and, and focusing on God does not remove the problems from our life, does not remove the sin, does not remove suffering, does not remove any of that. It might mitigate a lot of it. It might cut off some of it from happening, um, but it will still visit you. It will still land on your doorstep, I promise. You can double down on spiritual disciplines all you want. If you believe that you suffer because you've failed spiritually, that you've somehow got to get your act together and therefore God will bless you and deliver you from pain and suffering, here's what God has to say to you. Same thing he said to three to Job's three friends. This is in chapter 42, verse 7. It says, after the Lord had said these things to Job, because he'd had a long conversation with Job, he said to uh, Eliphaz the, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me. You gave a whole bunch of sound bites. You gave a whole bunch of half-truths. And you left my servant Job tore up, right? You, 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 you weren't on it. Okay, now I'm paraphrasing. Let me get back to it. Because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. And the fact of the matter is we see this. Every day people are absolutely certain. They're absolutely certain that the suffering that they're currently experiencing is a direct cause and effect to some sin that they committed. And they're just trying to figure out, well, what was the sin so I can say I'm sorry and all my pain can stop? Or I can find out what it is and I can stop doing that and all my pain will suddenly stop. In Jesus' day, they, they, they still didn't. This is the book of Job. This is probably our oldest piece of biblical literature um, probably about, probably over 2,000 years, written 2,000 years before Christ. So now we're looking at a 4,000-year-old piece of poetry um, in this book, Job. Um, so it's one of the older books in the Bible, and one of the newest or one of the, mo the most recently written was the Gospel of John. Uh, we think that it was probably written, he wrote his gospel maybe 80 to 90 years after the death of Christ, so one of the last um, books. And in this passage, this is... Um, um, it, uh, in the book of Gospel of John, chapter 16, John is relating how Jesus was warning the disciples about the difficult times ahead, right? He wasn't telling them, hey, if you follow me, you will not have trouble. If you follow me, you will not have sin and suffering. Everything will be wonderful, rosy. That wasn't his speech at all. It was the exact opposite. He's basically saying, if you follow me, <laughs> let me lay my hands on you. Let me pray for you. Let me, I mean, I, I got to give you my, I, I got to, I got to get you ready, so ready, because you are going to be facing, here's what he says. Let me, let me just jump to it. Chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because I know you're going to look at your world and all these bad things are going to happen and you're going to be all troubled in your souls and you're going to wonder if I was lying to you and if I withheld stuff from you, if, if, if my heavenly father was somehow being stingy with you and you're not going to have peace, but I, I want you to have peace. And the only way you're going to have peace is if you just wrap your heads around the idea that there will be trouble in this world. Like he's just like got them by the lapels that are they're. I don't know what they wear. I don't think they got lapels, right? You will have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We will encounter sin and suffering to different degrees in ourselves, in our friends, other people, the world around us. Every day, whether we go to church twice on Sunday, whether we only listen to K-Love on our radios, in our cars, 
And whether we, even if we have a little Jesus figurine on our dash wiggling right when we go down the road, you will have trouble in your life. It will visit you. That's simply the way of the world, and, and I believe that that's the way the Bible explains it. No, nowhere in God's Word does it say that we won't have trouble. So what do you do? What do you do when you uncover feelings that a good Christian shouldn't be feeling, right? What do you do when you find yourself doing things that good Christians shouldn't be doing? Well, we can do one or two things. We can either own them, our negative feelings, our, our bad behaviors, right? We can own them and bring them to, to Jesus, right? We can bring them to a heavenly Father who has such a great heart and such a desire to forgive and give mercy and grace that he will welcome us with open arms. So we can do that, but most of us don't like to do that because we're admitting that we're bad. Nobody likes to admit that they're bad. Can we just say that? I don't care if you're the Pope or Satan. Nobody really wants to say, I'm bad, right? They want to say, I'm right, and everybody else is wrong. Nobody wants to say, I'm bad. But we do. We, we, we cling to this idea that we cannot be bad. We, we, that's impossible. I accepted Christ, and now I'm good. Therefore, all these feelings, all these issues that I still have, something's wrong. Something's broken, right? And it's, it's not me because Jesus saved me. And we, we, get this, we get this idea and we cling to the idea that there must be something wrong because these feelings and behaviors are not consistent with a godly life. So here's where most people end up, their first stop. I'll call it the first stop on their way to really dealing with the problem in a biblical way. Um, here's the first very, very unbiblical way that we deal with it. It's called denial, right? You've all dealt with denial, the problem with denial is it compels us to judge others because we really can't see them for who they truly are, right? Because we can't see ourselves for who we truly are. And when we deny our right to have the feelings and behaviors that we're currently experiencing, well, then you're a Christian and you shouldn't be experiencing me. Have you ever been with a group of Christians and something bad comes up in the conversation and everybody quietly looks around and, and everyone, the unspoken word is, you don't do that, do you? And everyone's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, I always think, I feel like I'm in a room of liars. I just, I don't know. I always have that, that feeling when every single person goes, not me, Heck, not, not me, no way, not me. Denial, denial. Again and again, Scripture calls us to confess and to face our sinfulness and not deny them. Jesus had some pretty choice words for those who denied their sinfulness, who looked good on the outside. Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I would never do that. He says this in Matthew chapter 23. These are the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Far from being free from sin, the Bible paints kind of the opposite picture. In, a, in, a, in very, very clear and, and bright colors. First John chapter 1, 8 and 9 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to continue. Verse 10, it says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And, of course, the good news, right, is that we're safe in the love and grace of God. 
right? We can own our sinfulness and our shortcomings and our badness, and there is no fear of condemnation, right? That, that, that's an amazing thing. I know a lot, of, a lot of people grew up with, like, dads, that they were scared to death. If they ever did anything wrong, what they feared is a beating, right? So they were never able to go to dad, honestly, hey, dad, you know, I ran my bike into your truck. You know, I didn't mean to. Um, because it, it, with that kind of relationship, the son, the daughter doesn't want to be honest with the dad because the relationship is built on fear and someone's going to get a whooping, right? Instead of a relationship where the son knows the dad loves the son more than the truck and the son knows it's okay to tell dad, hey, I ran into your truck. I know you love your truck, but I know you love me more and I, I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to. <clears throat> Second step that many of us make, the second stop that many of us make when we cling to this idea that sin and suffering is somehow contradictory to the Christian life, um, we, we try works, right? We try to handle our bad side by working harder, improving ourselves, right? Easing our guilt. What we do is we try to perfect ourselves, we try to sanctify ourselves by working ourselves to Christian health. That's called works salvation, salvation by works. And this is kind of how it plays out. And this is how it played out in my marriage. I'm going to give you two really quick examples. Um, I, I grew up in my marriage believing that a good husband shouldn't argue and fight with his wife. He should just grin and bear it. Well, several years into our marriage, I recognized that that's really a bad strategy, right? It, it just it wasn't working out because I had a lot of anger pent up, and then it would explode in inappropriate times. And Diane finally said, look, I'm, I, 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 I'm a big girl. I, I wear big girl panties, you know. Um, treat me like an adult. Tell me when you're angry with me. Tell me when you're upset so we can deal with it, you know. I, I love you. You don't have to fear me. But I, 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 I don't know how it got into my head, but a good marriage shouldn't be arguing. There should be no arguing in a good marriage, so I wouldn't argue. It's kind of the same way kind of I've seen this in board meetings, right? People are more bent on being nice than being honest, right? They're going to do good works, but they're going to ignore the fact that somebody in the board meeting or so, is, is crazy, right? And, and, and they're, no, no, I got to be nice. I got to be nice. No, you got to be honest, Right? We need board members in this church who are honest, not, not mean honest, but, but they face the, the big hairy facts, and they're just honest. And so, so often we try to be nice to people where we work, and then pretty soon we find ourselves being meaner and meaner because we really haven't dealt with the fact that we don't like that person, and maybe we ought to talk to that person. Maybe we ought to have, sit down and have a conversation, and maybe after an hour lunch or something, we realize maybe I don't dislike. Maybe I had a whole bunch of weird ideas, right? But, but deal with it. Don't, don't cover it up with good works. A final stopping point before realizing that you might be backing the wrong pony is you revert to the law, right? You condemn whatever this feeling is, this attitude, this feeling, uh, condition, whatever it is. You condemn it. You feel guilty about it. You get angry at it, actually believing that your guilt will cause you to change, which is just a crazy, crazy idea. Guilt is a key feature of the law, right? It's always, we're always under condemnation. Can you imagine being a, a, a practicing Jew and you wake up in the morning, and you probably can't make it to breakfast without violating one of the many, 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 many laws. And from that moment on, until you can get to temple, you are under condemnation. Your whole life is, oh, there, I racked up another one. Oh, I got to racked up another one. Oh, I racked up another one. And your, your, your whole day is racking up sins, 
You know, and, and, and knowing in your mind, I, I got to get down to temple. I got to bring my doves. I got I to gotta, I gotta take care of this stuff. And even getting there, you, you just, you don't even, you bury, you, I don't even know if you break even, right? You just, you, you got to get rid of that stuff. And the morning, the minute you walk out of temple, walk down the street, you probably did something else. You got to turn around and go back in. The law is not nice, right? So we end up, if we're going to resort to the law, is we end up angrily condemning ourselves. All three of these responses, right? So responses of feeling that behaviors that Christians shouldn't experience, denial and works and law will all produce bad fruit, right? We've, we've looked at this passage quite a bit. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And if we are dealing in denial, works, and law, then we are going to produce bad fruit. No matter how hard we try to produce the good fruit, we will produce nothing but bad fruit. Let me point out some of the bad fruit that's going to be produced by not being honest with, with what we're facing without bringing them to God. We, you know, we, we try to hide them and, and nothing goes right. Here, here's some of the, the bad fruit that we're going to experience with denial and works and law. The first is feelings of failure. Right? What's beautiful about the Bible is it makes failure normal for us. I don't know if normal is the right word. It makes it okay. Ugh, even that, a little nervous about saying that. Um, Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Roman Christian. He says this in chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm not spiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. It's normal to fail. One of the best books I ever got a hold of, and I, I think it's John Maxwell. I, I can't remember who wrote it. Failing Forward. Get a hold of that book. If this is, if this is your bugaboo, this is something that, 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 that is holding you down right, this, this false Christian assumption that somehow if, if we're f spiritual, we shouldn't be having any kind of pain and suffering and problems and any failures whatsoever, failing forward. Incredible book. Again, I'm not sure who the author was. Get a hold of that book. But the bottom line is to teach that people should not be, to teach that people should be without sin and without suffering puts them under a tremendous amount of guilt for being normal, sinning human beings, it makes them feel abnormal, like there's something wrong with them and everyone else is normal. But we know that's not true. We're all, we're all broken. And God's way offers a better way. In God's word, we are given the space to accept our problems and the freedom and power to finally deal with them in an appropriate biblical fashion. Some more bad fruit. Let's take a look at a couple of these. Um, wasted energy. You know, white-knuckle efforts only demonstrate that we're compensating for personal sinfulness that we really haven't yet accepted, right, and owned and dealt with biblically. We end up just kind of spinning our wheels. I'm going to make fun of my wife now. She's a very nervous driver. A lot of her energy as she drives goes into that steering wheel. I always feel bad for that steering wheel. She works that steering wheel. A lot of energy because she's nervous when she drives, and, and I just want to just take your hands off the wheels, honey, and breathe, breathe. And, and you can see somebody who's, who's, who's operating under this false assumption. They're trying so hard. They go to every Bible study and they, they, they do absolutely everything. And, and they're just, bottom line is day after day, they're not feeling any more healthy. 
They're just spinning rubber. Jesus says this to anyone who's still white-knuckling it under their own options. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That strategy of you saving yourself, of you working harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, it's a losing strategy. It's a losing strategy. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Some more bad fruit, hiding, right? If you've ever wronged somebody, who's the last person in the world that you want to see, right? I knew this growing up, man. If I'd done something wrong that my dad was going to have a fit about or my mom was going to have a fit about, I didn't want to be around either one of those two people. (laughs) There's no way. Like, I'll be anywhere else, but I don't want to be around mom and dad because I had sinned against one of them, and I didn't want to face the music, so be somewhere else, right? If we believe that it's unacceptable to stumble and fall, then we'll do the exact same thing that Adam and Eve did when they stumbled and fell. We hide from God. He's the last person in the world that we want to see because he knows and he's going to ask us and we're going to have to own up to it. And nobody wants to own up to the fact that they were bad. Paul writes this in his letter to the Ephesians. This is in chapter 5. It says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather, and this is, this is absolutely crucial here, expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret and continue in 24. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What is hidden in darkness cannot be transformed by God's grace. It has to be brought into the light. Healing always comes through unconditional acceptance and unconditional acceptance always comes through a healthy open relationship between you and God where neither one of you are hiding things. Two last pieces of fruit. These are, these are the worst. These are the bad ones. Unforgiveness. If we hide the pain of our past, then we cannot forgive ourselves or those who hurt us. And we know biblically that, that forgiveness is God's way of removing the hurt from our past, from our past sins, from the sins of people that have been committed against us. That's God's way of just taking that pain away. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. But to get on with forgiveness and tie ourselves from those who have hurt us, we, we got to name the sin. We got to feel the sin. We can't ignore, ignore it. We can't hide it. We can't, oh, that's my past. You know, the, the past will only remain in the past if it has been properly dealt with. Otherwise, it just keeps sneaking up into our present and into our future and infecting it. It has to be dealt with. It can't be hidden away. Forbidding the pain of the past also forbids forgiveness. If you can't, again, if you can't forgive what's happened to you in the past, then anything happened to you right now or into the future, it's going to be unforgivable. You're never going to be able to access forgiveness if you've decided that you cannot be forgiven for your past. When we deny suffering and badness, we block people's desire to follow Jesus' example. Right? Because he was very honest. When people sinned against him, he, 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 he said, here's how you have sinned against me. And then, then he moved on. Right? He didn't dwell on it. He didn't pine over it. He, just, he, he, he named the sin. He dealt with it. And, and he moved on. If we sidestep our own shortcomings, hiding, hiding from God, hiding from ourselves, hiding from our friends, then the bottom line is we probably will not seek God. We will not seek forgiveness. Because then we would have to admit that we need forgiveness which means that we would have to admit that we were bad, but we're Christian. We struggle with that. 
Final piece of the Final piece of the most rotten fruit is the lack of love. We're not born in this world with the ability to love. You watch babies. It's not like they're mean, but they're incredibly selfish, right? They, they do some nice things, and mom gets a picture and everything. But babies, <laughs> we humans are incredibly self-centered. And we also learn that, you know, by love, um, when, when we're forgiven greatly, we love even more. This is in 1 John chapter 4. It says, we love because he loved us first. Right? My wife, when, I, when we first started dating, I had trouble loving, but she kept loving and kept loving and kept loving, even though I was stupid, stupid, stupid. And she changed me. I, I, I learned how to love by being married to Diane. It, it, just, it just happens. And again, I was just mentioning the ability to love is somehow tied to whether we've been forgiven. In Luke chapter 7, you have a prostitute. She had a lot to be forgiven for. She had lived a life of sin, and, and Jesus forgave, just boom, forgave her. And so she busts out this insanely expensive perfume, and, and she pours it on Jesus. And she, just the love is just is exa- almost exaggerated love. There's just overflowing love, and the Pharisees or the disciples are like, ah, you know, she's wasting that money. We could have spent it on the poor. But Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little and this woman has been forgiven a lot so she loves a lot in other words the more honest we are with our shortcomings and our failures by bringing them to the grace of god this is the beautiful part the more loving we become right love is a fruit of forgiveness i want to close with this passage this is in luke excuse me hebrews chapter 10 And it talks about approaching God now with full assurance, even though you still have these problems in your life. This passage from Hebrews chapter 10 still applies to you. Whether you have not gotten a leg up on anything yet, whether you're still struggling, I don't don't care where you are, this passage applies to you if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, period. Let me read you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and here's the kicker, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In John chapter 16, verse 33, we looked at this passage at the beginning of the the message. And he says that you're going to have trouble, but I can give you peace. Those are two extreme opposites. We're going to have trouble, but I can give you peace. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. When we trust the blood of Christ, we can approach God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, with an absolute assurance that and again, the assurance was needed because the belief is a holy, unholy person cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And a person who's bought into this idea that somehow that I have a, whole, a dirtiness in my, my, my life and therefore I can't approach God until I've got everything cleaned up, Hebrews screams at us, that is simply not the truth. Sin and suffering is normal in your life. Don't let it stop you from entering the presence of God because it should not stop you. There is nothing in God's word that says that your sin and your suffering should stop you from entering into his presence under the blood of Christ.
So this morning, again, if wherever you are, if you need to say this prayer, if you just bow your heads, Father, I want to I have assurance. I'm tired of being afraid of you, Father. I'm tired of being afraid that somehow all the crazy, dumb things I've done that you're just always looking to punish me. But Pastor Jerry says that's really not your agenda. You really want to love me back into a relationship and not punish me back into a relationship. You want to love me back into your arms. So, Father, I just pray that every person who's hearing my voice, if they want to be loved back into the arms of God and they know that they won't be able to behave their way back into your arms, Father, would you just show them the face of your son, Jesus Christ? By his blood, by his death, all of our stuff was paid for. And so, Father, if, you're, if anyone listening to me this morning would, would like to have everything paid for, everything paid for once and for all, this is your time. This morning is your time. Father, thank you for your son who has offered to pay for all of my iniquities, all of my sins, all of my transgressions. And I want to accept that deal right now, today, July 12th, 2020. I'm tired of fighting this. I'm tired of believing that somehow that since I accepted you way back when I was 12 years old, that all this should have gone away. Lord, now I see it's just a part of living in a broken world, Lord, but you've never left me. You've never forsaken me. And you will, you're the author that started this faith and you will bring it to conclusion. And we thank you for that this morning, Father. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who's so crucial in making all this come about now. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for what you did for us. Father, thank you for this whole plan, for loving us.